0: how all the technology works behind it, and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegronbacher.com forward slash podcast course, and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Gronbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to our monthly book club, and welcome our author, the strong and powerful Wade Fowle. Wade, are you ready to do this?
1: I am. Yeah. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Wade is a PhD, a CFA, an RICP. He is a professor of retirement income at the American College. He is the founder of the retirement, re- or retirement researcher.com, the author of several books, including Safety First, Retirement Planning, an Integrated Approach for a Worry-Free Retirement. I'm excited to have you back on the show. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and what motivated you to write the book.
1: Well, sure. Yeah. So I work at the American College. We teach financial advisors and our ICP programs about retirement income. And as I've just been focused on retirement income planning now for about 10 years. At some point, just recognizing that there were really these two different schools of thought, two fundamentally different ways to approach retirement income and safety first retirement planning. This new book is on the second of those approaches my previous book, How Much Can You Spend in Retirement, was on more of a pure investments-only, like how do you build a retirement strategy if you're only going to use an investment portfolio? And now Safety First Retirement Planning is extending beyond that to look at, well, how can you integrate insurance and investments together to
0: to build a retirement plan? Got it. And so it's been, it, well, I, I don't know, how, how long do you think that, that the two paradigms have been In existence, have 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 they always been?
1: Well, to some extent, retirement is still a new concept. So, in terms of how whether they've always been around, safety first is more rooted in sort of the traditional theoretical economics academic type of approach, and then the probability based approach. I I usually say didn't really develop until Bill Bengen wrote his article that created the four percent rule of thumb in 1994. The idea of just how much can you spend from an investment portfolio if you're trying to keep spending level from volatile investments. It's not really an academic approach. It's more of a just a practitioner based rule of thumb around what might
0: work. That's right. And and Bill Banken, he was he was an engineer. Yeah,
1: or, or even a, a rocket scientist yeah. or in a previous part That's of his right. career. Yeah, I think he has a degree from MIT and. Yeah. I think he can claim to be a rocket scientist turned financial planner. Okay.
0: Got it. All right. So so yes. So it's not always been around. 1994 was not that long ago. So, <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's always one of those things that it's funny. I, I, I work in the actual business obviously, and always sort of need to, to come back to the reality that we when I say we um Americans just haven't been responsible for saving our own money for retirement for that long right it's always been for a long time it was pensions and social security the more safety first um way that 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 we pay for retirement planning or income um so it 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 is a bit of a challenging thing um, do you find that that the that, that probability-based had become more mainstream, though, or, or, or more the accepted way that, that, that people look at retirement income?
1: For a while, it, it did. Yeah, I mean, retirement, it's new in the sense that, like in the olden days, people basically just worked until they died, or they might have their family take care of them for a couple of years. And then as people are living longer and longer, suddenly there was this sense of a retirement. And we still had Social Security and traditional company pensions. And then with that transition over towards 401ks and just saving for your own retirement, and then as well with the, the run-up of the markets, that, that 4% rule of thumb didn't really take off until Scott Burns wrote some columns about it in the Dallas Morning News in the late 1990s. And that was really the peak of the whole... You know, boom of the late nineteen nineties, and that's really what set off this sort of um, probability-based approach, where you can just your investment portfolio is going to continue to grow and grow, and so you can sustain a retirement easily from that. And that's how that whole concept developed. I'd, it was part of that whole nineteen nineties mentality.
0: So your your first your first book was talking about, or not necessarily your first book, but your your last book was it your first book?
1: I do also have a book on reverse mortgage. Okay. That was the, the first book, but that was more a matter of I kept writing and writing about that and realized I had a book on my hands. But,
0: Fair enough. So
1: there's three books total.
0: Okay. So so the second one on on it's 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 really in an in investigation into how much you can spend during retirement?
1: <laughs> from investments. Okay. And, from- and I limited it to if you're been listening to too many of those commercials that talk about hating annuities and so forth, and you're going to restrict yourself that you don't want to use other tools. You just want to use an investment portfolio. How would you go about structuring that? That's what the second book was about.
0: Okay. Got it. And so for, 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 for this book, is it, are are there certain Paradigms or or thought processes or or thinking that you were hoping to help people break through negative perceptions or just preconceived notions.
1: Right. Uh huh. Yeah. So this new book, it it's about integrating annuities, life insurance and investments all together and really approaching that from yeah trying to break through the, some of these ideas about how retirement is different in terms of this longevity risk of not knowing how long your your plan needs to last and then when you're taking distributions from investments how that will actually amplify investment volatility and how the investments only approach really becomes The only way to manage these risks is to spend less. You have to worry you might live a long time and get bad market returns, and you have to lower your spending. And insurance companies can pool that risk so that it can allow everyone in the risk pool to spend at a higher level than they'd be comfortable just doing on their own. And so, to the extent that people are willing to shift some of their bonds into what I call actuarial bonds, which are either various forms of insurance, that that can really be a more efficient outcome in terms of supporting retirement with less assets. And so all these notions about annuities are too expensive or whatever else, that's really not the way to be thinking about it. It's more, how much do I need to sustainably cover my retirement and support legacy? And integrated strategies give you the potential to support spending and legacy better when they're implemented in the right way.
0: Got it. So when you say integrative strategies or integrated strategies, you're talking about not simply relying on one strategy versus another. It's how many how many different streams of income can I potentially create?
1: <laughs> yeah. Instead of just using an investment portfolio, it's more, how about shifting some of those bonds from the investment portfolio Got over it. into annuities or life insurance?
0: And the thought process of... I don't like annuities because they're too expensive is perhaps one that just and perhaps sometimes it's true. There are perhaps annuities that are too expensive, but it's a matter of, well, let's actually dig in and and, and look at the facts and the actual science behind this, or am I off base?
1: Right, right, and there are many different types of annuities, and so usually that annuities are too expensive concept refers to deferred variable annuities. And yeah, the fee drag will usually be higher on the contract value than if you just go investments only. But right, you have to look at more. It's how much assets do I need to meet a goal? How, how will I invest my assets? And when you have that sort of optional living benefit that gives you that guaranteed income for life, to the extent that that might help you invest a little more aggressively than you otherwise would, and, and to the extent that you now have risk pooling in the strategy, you might be able to support your spending goal and support more legacy. And, and so the idea that it, it's more expensive and it's going to eat your legacy, that, that's not necessarily true.
0: Got it. I see. So it's a matter of looking at the costs of, of the annuity simply – versus the cost of a bond and then saying, oh, well, that one, the annuity is way more expensive, but compared to what? Because what you're getting is you're sort of not, you're not being able to see the forest through the trees because this is what you're advocating or what we're talking about is providing a guaranteed stream of income for as long as you live.
1: Right, right. And really at the end of the day, bonds are the least efficient way to try to fund a specific retirement spending goal over an unknown length of time. And why is that? Well, because they don't give you. (laughs) I've written, like, so this retirement income showdown is about risk pooling versus the risk premium. That if you go with the 4% rule, assumes you have at least 50% stocks. It's always kind of been known in this investments literature that you can't have low stock allocations because at some point you're reaching beyond what the bond yield curve can support. And if you want to spend more than bonds will let you, your options are to either kind of invest more aggressively and, and hope you get the upside from the stock market, or pool that risk through insurance. And, and so, those are both methods to be able to spend more. And and with the stock side, it's potentially spend more if you you don't have a really bad market outcome. But two ways to potentially spend more than bonds alone would allow you to spend.
0: And that brings up another major challenge that I, th- I think that you talk about in the book, which is this sequence of return risk.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sequence risk, it amplifies investment volatility. And so the way I like to describe this is just the 4% rule. The 4% rule was triggered by what's what's the highest percent of your retirement assets that you could have spent in the first year of retirement and sustained that with inflation growth over a 30-year period, and it was triggered by the market returns from 1966 to 1995. Now, with a 50-50 asset allocation for the the asset classes in that research, markets averaged 4.2% after inflation over those 30 years, but the retiree didn't get to enjoy that. The the 4% rule tells you, and this is just the cash flow problem, it's a 1.3% real return. So even though markets were averaging 4.2% real, a retiree is only getting 1.3% real as an investment return. And that's because of the ordering of returns. There's these market downturns in in 1966 and 1969 and 1973 and 1974. And that really pulls down the portfolio when you're taking distributions. And so after 1982, markets do really great. And that pulls up the average over the 30 years. But the retirement outcome was driven, it was too late to benefit from that for somebody who had retired in 1966. And that sequence risk, it really just, it amplifies the impact of investment volatility by making outcomes more dependent on what happens just in the few first years of retirement. They have a disproportional impact on the final outcome.
0: Yeah, which certainly makes a lot of sense. So if we're employing that 4% rule, it's 50% bonds and then 50% stocks, equities, and in the first year or two, if there's a, a a major, which today, 10%, 20%, 30%, isn't that outlandish in the stock market, then that's <laughs> going to potentially greatly impair your ability to remain retired.
1: Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, sequence risk is triggered by having to sell assets at a loss in order to cover spending. It's, it's kind of the reverse of you know the concept of dollar-cost averaging, whereas if there's a market dip, I get to buy more shares, and that helps me as a saver. But when there's a market dip and I'm trying to fund a spending goal, I have to sell more shares. And that, that's what creates the problem.
0: Got it. All right. So as you are taking and crunching all this data and all this information, is there anything that you were cognizant of? I, I want to avoid this in writing this book.
1: Uh, Well, I do put these caveats when I start talking about some of these more complicated types of annuities, that not all annuities are created equal, and I don't want the, the ones that may have high costs and aren't really providing value, but because of the complexity of the contracts, it can be hard to really tease that out. I don't want the quote unquote bad annuities to benefit off of my explanations about how a competitively priced annuity can contribute to a good retirement outcome. And so that's probably my biggest concern is <laughs> it's not across the board every annuity is good, but competitively priced annuities can really help a
0: retirement plan. And and how do you advocate that that that, that people know the difference?
1: Well, that can be complicated. I do end the book with a series of questions to ask about different types of annuities to make sure you understand all the features and details of the annuity. And then with with things like in the discussion about fixed index annuities, there's so many different ways they can be structured. But if you just stick with the more simple and common approach, then it's because there's going to be many companies offering them that will make it easier to compare features and, and get a better sense of who's offering a good deal. Whereas if it's an index annuity that's using some new special proprietary index, in some exotic crediting method that no one else is using, mm. there's really no way to tell if you're getting a good price on it or if it's like how much the insurance company is keeping behind the scenes and how much is contributing towards your upside exposure with the contract.
0: I think that's a, such an important point right there because – in my experience in the business this whenever something is so complicated that i can't understand it it's probably not going to be good for the consumer because there's zero chance that they'll be able to understand it so keeping it simple and make sure that you're looking at apples to apples versus well this company's saying this and so are these other ones but this other company has this new product out and they have their own way of doing it that does make it difficult to uh to uh, compare apples to apples so <clears throat> all right other uh other main ideas that you really want to reinforce from the book or what are the real main ideas?
1: Well, one interesting one is the longest chapter in the book is on life insurance and in particular whole life insurance. And that was an area where I do come from the investments world. I'm not from the insurance side. And so I'm learning about things as I go along. And I became so convinced by the research I was doing about how Permanent life insurance can contribute to retirement income. That I got a big policy, really thinking of it as a replacement for some of my bonds. That instead of investing in bond funds, kind of my fixed income allocation is with my the whole life insurance and just the different ways it can be used with retirement income. The the main ways I look at just a more efficient way to meet a legacy goal or treating it as an asset that will allow the owner to purchase a single life, life life-only annuity, given the highest payouts, because they have the death benefit to support the survivors uh, for that annuity. Or this volatility buffer concept, which is similar with a reverse mortgage as well, where one way to manage sequence risk, if you have some other resource that doesn't lose value when markets are down, and it can provide a temporary resource to draw from to let your portfolio recover and not have to sell shares at a loss in bad market environments, that that can have a huge impact on the sustainability of the investment portfolio. And so there's all these different ways life insurance can, can work, that the, the notion of buy term and invest a difference, that if you need life insurance before you retire because the normal reasons to protect your family The idea was just use term insurance because it has the lowest premiums and that lets you get the most into your investment portfolio. That I find that when you start thinking ahead about how you'll structure your assets for retirement as well, that that doesn't give you (laughs) necessarily the best outcome. And it's all back to this idea again that just investments only, it's not a good way to manage this risk of retirement with the longevity and the, the sequence of returns and market volatility so i was i mean i found that surprising and compelling as well and that's the longest chapter in the book
0: got it do you have a sense of of how long it took you to, to do all the research for the book
1: well, yeah, it did take a long time because I was originally hoping to publish the book about a year earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. So it, fu- it it was published two years after my, my book on how much can you spend in retirement. And that was, a lot of that time was spent on just writing. I had a few areas where I'd already written a lot of the content, like on simple income annuities, but filling in all the gaps did take me about an extra two years to do that.
0: Wow. Excellent. So what are you hoping that the book will do?
1: Well, I'm I'm hoping it will just help contribute to the debate about there are these two different ways to approach retirement income planning. And I think a lot of the conventional wisdom is just investments only and the notion of, well, assume you get an 8% return every year or assume you get a 12% return every year. Well, if you could rely on that then investments only would be the way to go. But when you really consider the risks of retirement, that's not a very safe assumption. And so there is a lot of value in more integrated strategies. And just, I hope to to contribute to helping people understand that there's more than one way to approach retirement income.